The president thinks that herd mentality will save us from the coronavirus. He meant herd immunity, which is still bad. Cardi B and Offset are calling it quits after three years of marriage. And the Trump administration's fight with experts over the coronavirus has been getting intense. We've got Politico healthcare reporter Sarah Overmall with us to give the latest deets. The date, September 16th, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hey everyone, I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to BuzzFeed's News O'Clock. We're going to dive in in two seconds, Casey, but first I I have to voice my strenuous disagreement with the decision of the Big Ten to start playing college football again. It involves my alma mater, Michigan State. They're they're the conference that I watched eventually. I didn't really watch sports while I was in college, and it's just a bad idea. You know what? I'm going to believe you. I don't know what the Big Ten are. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, it's okay because honestly, the names of college athletic groupings is so dumb at this point. The Big Ten has 12 teams. The Big 12 has, I think, like eight at this point. It's ridiculous. <laughs> okay, it's time for today's top stories. Here's what you need to know. President Trump held his first town hall of the general election campaign last night, and it was illuminating. Let's go with illuminating. The town hall was hosted by ABC News, bringing together undecided voters to ask the president their burning questions. And from the jump, it was clear that all those burning questions were set to add up to a grilling. I thought you were doing a good job with a pandemic response until about May 1st. Then you took your foot off the gas pedal. Why did you throw vulnerable people like me under the bus? Is your plan to aid these workers who may not lose their jobs today, but in the months to come? I want to know what it is that you're going to do to assure that people like me who work hard, we do everything we're supposed to do, can stay insured. It's not my fault that I was born with this disease. It was probably the toughest set of questions that the president has had in years, given his preference for rallies and other adoring crowds. And in his answers, he offered up a web of half-truths, malapropisms, and outright lies. One that sticks out is his answer about why he initially downplayed the danger of the virus. After claiming that he upplayed the virus, which is not a real term, he then said this to moderator George Stephanopoulos. It would go away without the vaccine, George, but it's going to go away a lot faster. It would with go it. away without the vaccine? Sure. Over a period of time. Sure. With time, it goes and many away. deaths. And you'll develop, you'll develop herd, like a herd mentality. It's going, to be, it's going to be herd developed, and that's going to happen. That will all happen. He meant to say herd immunity, which most experts agree is not really a feasible option, given the hundreds of thousands of deaths that it would take on top of the almost 200,000 COVID-related deaths in the U.S. so far. The president is meanwhile set to meet up with former Vice President Joe Biden in their first debate on September 29th in Cleveland, Ohio. It'll be moderated by Fox's Chris Wallace, and based on last night, it should be a trip. And speaking of vaccines, the U.S. today previewed an ambitious new plan to distribute a COVID-19 vaccine once it's ready, even as people worry about a product being rushed to market. As you might guess, the plan itself is pretty complicated. It calls for a coronavirus vaccine to be distributed to sites across the country within 24 hours of the FDA granting an emergency authorization or approval, ideally making it free for all Americans. That Herculean effort would be coordinated by the Pentagon and federal health agencies that civilians would actually administer the vaccine. According to the plan given to Congress and a playbook passed out to the states, the priority would be giving out doses of the vaccine to those most in need, like healthcare providers or the elderly. 
The plan also revolves around the likelihood that people will need two doses of vaccine administered three to four weeks apart. But there are still a number of question marks. That includes concerns that the president will push out a vaccine before it's fully tested in order for it to be ready ahead of the election. And even if this is all a success, the CDC's director said today it's unlikely that things will get back to normal even with a vaccine until around this time next year. And finally, Hurricane Sally hit land as a Category 2 storm today, drenching the Gulf Coast and looking like it's going to spend some time there. Though it was supposed to hit near Louisiana, the storm system slowed down and dumped two feet of rain onto some areas. It finally made landfall near Alabama's border with the Florida Panhandle. And even though it's producing 100-mile-per-hour winds, Sally is only moving at a glacial two miles per hour. That slow pace is set to bring what the National Hurricane Center called historic and catastrophic flooding to the region. Between 10 and 20 inches of rain could hit parts of the Gulf Coast, with up to 35 inches in some places. Already, the reports of damage as of this morning were intense, with surging water in Pensacola, Florida's downtown that was up to five and a half feet high. The storm also claimed a large chunk of a new three-mile bridge in the same city. 2020 is shaping up to be the busiest storm season on record in the Atlantic, with five, count them, five tropical storm systems active at once on Monday, the most seen since the 1970s. Luckily, so far, most of them have been relatively weak, but we've still got a few months to go in the season. Well, you know, I don't love that both coasts are experiencing um, uh, climate change like this right now. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, not great. We're we're just going through it this year. Like, I, I don't know what things are going to look like by winter, but between, yeah, the hurricanes in the south, the fires in the west, and I don't even know what's going to happen to the Midwest and East Coast. I mean, the Midwest had their inland hurricane already this summer, so we'll see. We'll see where that goes. Yeah, and Hayes, honestly, as someone who's from California and seeing how we're underrepresented in the Electoral College, you know what? I don't have faith that California is going to get as many vaccines as it needs. (laughs) I mean, the the fact is, too, like the president is telling there is going to be a vaccine. There's going to be a vaccine as though everyone gets it at once. Like there's going to be like some rain of needles from the sky with vaccine for everyone. We already saw how this went for testing. We saw we saw that it was like all these basketball teams or people that had money that could do it and stuff like that. And I don't see the vaccine going any differently. (laughs) Delightful. Simply delightful. Okay, Casey, what's going on in the world of pop culture today? Well, first, after three years of marriage, Cardi B and her husband Offset are calling it quits. The paperwork that was filed at a courthouse in Atlanta stated that the marriage was irretrievably broken and that there were no prospects for a reconciliation. Offset, best known as a member of the rap group Migos, contested the divorce at first, but the documents have been amended to say that Cardi just wants the courts to enforce whatever deal the two of them reach. The news of the split comes after a publicly tumultuous relationship for the two musicians, including multiple alleged and confirmed affairs, which led to separations and some very public apologies from Offset. He even once crashed Cardi's set at the Rolling Loud Festival in L.A. in 2019 with a sign made of roses that said, Take me back, Cardi. Cardi is seeking primary physical custody as well as legal custody of their two-year-old daughter, Culture. The hearing is set to take place on November 4th. Okay, first of all, feel bad for Culture. Sorry about that your parents have to go through this. Super sucks. Two, 
wow, Offset, how many chances, my guy? Yeah, you know what? I'm glad that Cardi was finally like, you know what? This might this might be too much. You know, she she's like talked in the past about like, you know, their relationship being full of drama, but they love each other. They've clearly worked through some things. But at the end of the day, it's like, as you're saying, yes, like divorce sucks. But also, do you want your parents to be together if this is what it is? <laughs> right. I, and I saw a, an amazing tweet earlier that, you know, we 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 bag on Jay-Z a lot because he's an easy target these days. But at least the man said, looked around, looked at himself and said, wow, I cannot lose Beyonce. Beyonce and went to therapy. It's like, you know what? I am going to be better. <laughs> All right. And moving on, in a case of Madonna being the most Madonna, the superstar will apparently be co-writing and directing her own biopic. Joining her in the writing process will be Diablo Cody, who won a screenwriting Oscar in 2008 for Juno. The two have been teasing the project on Instagram for a minute now before it was made official yesterday. Madonna said that in the project, she wants to, quote, convey the incredible journey that life has taken me on as an artist, a musician, a dancer, a human being trying to make her way in this world. She added that the focus of the movie will be music, saying, quote, there are so many untold and inspiring stories and who better to tell it than me? It's essential to share the roller coaster ride of my life with my voice and vision. The movie has no title yet, but at one point on Instagram, Madonna referred to it as Live to Tell. It's set to be distributed by Universal Pictures and will probably have a killer soundtrack. Probably. I. <laughs> oh, wow. That's, you know what? Sure. Why not? I'm already, though, incredibly against that name of the biopic. It should clearly just be called Madonna. I don't know oh my why God. we're. <laughs> Madonna. <laughs> Co-written by Madonna, produced by Madonna, directed by Madonna. I mean, that that is what you should do. It's a biopic. You already go by one name. The the movie should go by one name, too. Can't argue with that logic at all. Uh, who do you think should play Madonna, though, in this movie? Okay, who is up Hayes. to the task? Madonna. Oh, my God. <laughs> she can't. No. 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 I, I hope this is what I hope. I hope that they're going to, like, get a different a different girl for, like, when she's younger than, like, the teen years. Then they're going to get someone, you know, like... 40 some stuff like that but then i hope that she doesn't come in as herself i hope that she is just in the background of a scene i know oh, that yeah, madonna that's oh, that's madonna great. will yes. be yes. in this movie <laughs> i can i'd like the idea of having her at different ages played by different people kind of like the dylan picture a while back that had kate blanchett play him at one point but i if that's the case i do want to see gaga playing madonna at one point just really close that loop <laughs> that's fun i like that <laughs> After the break, Politico reporter Sarah Overmall will tell us all about the fight between the Trump administration and CDC scientists. Be right back. At SheFit, we're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. What grows in the forest? Trees? Sure. Know what else grows in the forest? Our imagination. Our sense of wonder. And our family bonds grow, too, because when we disconnect from this 
and connect with this. We reconnect with each other. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Hey, Lethal listeners. Tig here. Last season on Lethal Lit, you might remember I came to Hollow Falls on a mission. Clearing my Aunt Beth's name and making sure justice was finally served. But I hadn't counted on a rash of new murderers tearing apart the town. My mission put myself and my friends in danger. Though it wasn't all bad. I'm gonna be real with you, Tig. I like you. But now, all signs point to a new serial killer in Hollow Falls. If this game is just starting, you better believe I'm gonna win. I'm Tig Torres. And this is Lethal Lit. Catch up on season one of the hit murder mystery podcast, Lethal Lit, a Tig Torres mystery, out now. And then tune in for all new thrills in season two, dropping weekly starting February 9th. Subscribe now to never miss an episode. Listen to Lethal Lit on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Even in the best of times, coordinating the federal response to something as intense as the coronavirus pandemic would be a heavy lift. But six months in, the Department of Health and Human Services has been reportedly fighting with some of the medical experts best suited to guide the country through this crisis. To talk us through the drama at HHS, we're joined by Politico healthcare reporter Sarah Overmall. Good afternoon, Sarah. Yeah, thank you for having me. So let's start with the basics. What does the normal relationship between HHS and the CDC look like? <laughs> well, uh, the CDC is the public health agency. So they've always been the ones tasked with public information about health crises, things like what happened with vaping last year, which <laughs> seems like it was a century ago at this point. But they play a really important role with instructing consumers on what they need to know, but also coordinating with states and local authorities about things like vaccine information, distribution of vaccines, and again, any sort of public health crises that spring up. So the answer really there is that it's independent. CDC works on its own. They have career scientists who are saying, here are the risks. Here's what we know so far about things. And, and HHS has never really met with them before. So yeah, last week, you and your colleagues reported that political appointees at Health and Human Services have been meddling with a document specifically that the CDC puts out called the Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report, the MMRW. So first up, uh, who are these MMRW written for? Yeah, so the MMRW, it's a, it's a long term and it might not sound like much to some people who haven't heard of it before, but it's a weekly report that's put out by career scientists, largely for doctors and other scientists to understand what the risks are, what certain trends are in the country with mortality and lately with the pandemic in particular to really underline how important these reports are. They've been around for decades. The 1981 report describing some weird sort of uh, characteristics of an unknown illness out of LA was the first time that we found HIV to exist. And Dr. Anthony Fauci, the infectious disease expert at National Institutes of Health has credited that report with piquing his interest in HIV and starting his decades-long career in that space. So this is really a pinnacle of, of health research, and it's never had some sort of political influence on it, even when we talk about HIV, which did get very politically fraught. So what kind of changes are we talking about HHS wanting to make to these reports, and uh, do we know exactly why they wanted to make them? 
So it was largely um, uh, HHS Assistant Secretary for Public Affairs, Michael Caputo, who is a longtime Trump ally, and his advisor, Paul Alexander. And actually, just a few minutes before hopping on to talk with you guys, a press release came down the wire. Caputo is taking 60 days of medical leave after these reports, and Paul Alexander is out at HHS. And so, yeah, that's, that's breaking news right there. So um, what happened there was the two of them were arguing with CDC career staff about what was in these reports. They were saying retroactively that they wanted reports changed to downplay the risk to children, to be more in line with what the Trump administration is trying to say about the level of risk, the level of spread, and what the trajectory is for this virus because we're so close to the election. And the president really does have this narrative of wanting to say we're coming out the other side of this. How does changing what's in the MMWR affect doctors and other healthcare workers who are responding to the pandemic? Well, it's essential in a lot of ways. I mean, the doctors and healthcare workers look towards this as the answer on, or, or not not the definitive answer, but the latest information that we have on level of risk, level of spread, asymptomatic spread, things like that that inform how they treat their patients. But then also beyond that, how we talk about things like reopening schools, reopening restaurants, what level of risk we can take on in different communities. And the Trump administration in particular really wants to see schools reopened and say that there is no risk to children. The problem is that we don't have data definitively saying that there isn't risk to children. In fact, we have data saying that they can spread it themselves and have at times gotten very serious illnesses from it. So you just mentioned Michael Caputo. Uh, what more can you tell us about him and how he got to the department in the first place? Because he's uh, interesting. He's an interesting character. He is an interesting character. Yes, um, he has worked for Trump for a long time. He does not have health and science background, but he is a close ally of the president. And so he sort of operates in his own realm, or I should say, operated in his own realm at HHS because now he's on leave for a little bit. The understanding was that he generally had a straight line to the White House. So even if people disagreed with them, with him, they tried to work with him on these things. He brought in Paul Alexander as what he has said, one of his first hires in the role. So I should say Caputo came in in February, just when we were starting to realize what this pandemic was really going to look like. He wasn't brought in to deal with the coronavirus pandemic. He was brought in more to to help HHS and Secretary Azar with their image and communications in general. And then all this happened. Alexander, his ally, was a part-time professor at McMaster University in Canada, although McMaster has told me and other reporters that he does not teach there right now. He is not on their payroll. They've sought to distance themselves from his comments. So the important takeaway here is that Caputo doesn't have a science background. He is very close to Trump. And so this medical leave announcement, while I'm, I'm sure he does need it, and I'm not questioning that, it was also seen a little bit as a saving face measure so that he wasn't actually let go from the administration. Caputo has said some wild things, including that the, quote, deep state at the CDC is trying to hurt the president and this disturbing moment on Facebook Live on Sunday. I'm not going anywhere. They're going to have to kill me. And unfortunately, I think that's where this is going. How did that play out inside the department? People were immediately alarmed. Um, I got calls both from people currently uh, at HHS and people who had left in the past few years expressing their alarm, saying that they had spoken to Secretary Azar about it, saying they'd spoken to the White House about it, and asking immediately for what the next steps were going to be. I mean... It's not just that those were very alarming statements from him. They absolutely were. But also the context with 
which they were made in, which is that public confidence in our health institutions right now is at an all-time low. We have really sobering numbers on people saying they don't want to get a vaccine that comes out. For him to be implying that we can't be trusting government scientists or that there's some sort of career staff campaign to get Trump out of office really does a measurable harm to public confidence, not just in the COVID vaccine, but in other areas of health information that we need people to trust us on. As all of this is going on, the country has been really looking to Anthony Fauci as a steady voice. But apparently, Paul Alexander, who, as you just mentioned, is out at HHS, had been trying to limit his access to the press. Can you tell us a bit more about this? Yes. So uh, Paul Alexander sent a series of emails, mostly over August and early September, that I saw where he tried to tell Fauci's staff to tell him to downplay the risk that coronavirus has to, to children. He said, quote, there is zero risk, none at all, which again, that's not backed up by science. Um, he also tried to tell Dr. Fauci not to talk about children wearing masks. He questioned some of the data around hydroxychloroquine, which of course has since been debunked as a coronavirus treatment. And he said a few other alarming things just about clinical trial research and asymptomatic spread. Uh, Dr. Fauci, for what it's worth, told me that he had never seen those emails and that nobody muzzles him, that nobody can tell him what to say. Uh, this is a man who's been in his position for four decades, nearly four decades. So um, I do believe him on that. And he continues to speak to the press. But he does, it's worth noting, he does have to put his press requests through HHS now. And that was not always the case. You also just yesterday reported that the HHS Secretary Alex Azar overrode the FDA on a major decision related to coronavirus testing. What happened there? Yeah, so that's been a really interesting one to follow because from the outside, we could see that it wasn't going business as usual when it came to these lab-developed tests. What these tests are, they're not the majority of tests on the market, but they could be if we open the gates to so many of them being out there. So they're tests that are run by individual labs. And FDA has always said during this pandemic, we need to be able to review these to make sure that they're accurate. Imagine if you got a false negative and then just went running around, or imagine if you got a false positive and put your life on hold when you didn't need to. And so the FDA said, we need to have some level of control over these tests. Alex Azar has been pushing for a long time for there not to be FDA regulation of these tests because he says that it is unnecessarily slowing down the availability of tests on the market. And so it became a legal argument that HHS had against an accuracy and safety argument that FDA had. Ultimately, HHS overrode FDA last month. And you can see how this is played out. The FDA refuses to acknowledge the decision or put it on their website. They don't want to comment on it. And HHS, again, is arguing this is well within our rights to do this, but it's caused a lot of confusion. And last question, what does all of this dysfunction mean for when and if we get a coronavirus vaccine? I think that all of this speaks to why people are so worried about that, because when you have um, internal battles over lab-developed tests or over studies suggesting a level of risk to children, then what kind of battles are we going to have when vaccine data comes? And the president has repeatedly said that we could have a vaccine in the next few weeks, even though nearly all of his health officials, from Dr. Fauci to Operation Warp Speed Chief Monsafsui, have said it's far more likely that we'll have a promising candidate at the end of this year. And that doesn't even begin to speak to how we're going to distribute millions of those doses to people. And so realistically, I mean, you've got nine companies 
at least nine companies that are in later stage trials for this or about to enter later stage trials for this. They're still on track to probably give us answers by the end of the year. These companies know what they're doing. They have pledged to, you know, stick to the science and publish their data. It's just about whether there could be a push within the government to issue an emergency authorization for a vaccine before it's ready. That's the main concern now. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Join us tomorrow for a conversation with Dr. Jen Conti, host of the V Word podcast, about how hard it could be for women to actually get the health care that they need. And remember, Madonna. I just wanted to say her name again after saying it like 30 times today. Madonna. (laughs) (laughs) Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. Progressive presents Forest Metaphors about bundling your home and auto. In sports, three goals is a hat trick. And when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get a hat trick of great savings and round-the-clock protection. So you might be thinking, wait, that's two things. A hat trick is three. But in this metaphor, great savings counts as two goals and so does round-the-clock protection. So it's like four goals and that's more than three. It's basic math. Forced Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. What's up, what's up? This is Robin Dixon, co-host of Reasonably Shady, which has just been nominated for an NAACP Image Award in the Outstanding Arts and Entertainment Podcast category. This is so big for Giselle and I. And of course, we must thank all of our fantastic listeners. But we need your help. Visit vote.naacpimageawards.net to vote for Reasonably Shady. That's vote.naacpimageawards.net. But don't wait. Voting closes on February 5th at 9 p.m. Eastern. And make sure to listen to Reasonably Shady every single Monday on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Hello. Hello. Hi. Oh, my God. I want to come through the screen and hug you. Hey everybody, Jessica Zor here, also known as Vanessa Abrams on Gossip Girl. I am so excited to share my new podcast with you guys. It's called XOXO, and it's a walk down memory lane all about Gossip Girl. I'll chat with some of the cast, crew, fans of the show, and I'm just so pumped for you guys to go on this journey with me. Hi, I'm Ed Westwick. I played Chuck Bass. Is this Michelle Trachtenberg? I'll never tell. Hey, I'm Taylor Momsen, and I play Jenny Humphrey. Hi, I'm Sebastian Stan, and I played... Carter Basin. That was one of the reasons I liked the character Jenny so much is that she was very relatable. The whole thing was such a joy for me to do. And I was just so thankful that people responded the way they did to what we were doing. This really was just like wonderful. I like have like warm feelings inside. Yeah, me too. I'm giving you air hugs. Listen to XOXO on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.